Hi, welcome to another episode of Spud Chat. It's uh, Ryan Barrett here from the PEI Potato Board. We are continuing with our episodes from the Prince Edward Island Potato Conference held back in February. Um, this time we have Dr. Claudia Goyer from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada presenting on Common Scab. Claudia has been the national lead for a project on Common Scab as part of the Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association cluster. And uh, we're uh, happy to have uh, Claudia uh, attend the conference to provide us a bit of an update on some of the work that she's been doing on Common Scab, both typifying the populations of common scab and uh, that we have across Canada and particularly in PEI, but also some of the control options that they've been investigating. So we're happy to uh, share this episode with you with Dr. Claudia Goyer. As always, if you have any questions, uh, comments, please feel free to contact me. You can find my contact information at www.peipotatoagronomy.com or you can find me on Twitter uh, R. Barrett PEI. So uh, let's uh, listen to Dr. Claudia Goyer. Today, I'm going to talk about results that we had under the project that was under the potato cluster project and the, the key findings that we found. I'm not going to present everything because we'll be there for a while. So, common scab. So, common scab is my favorite disease, but it's a very pesky one, and I, I, I know you guys know this. But So, common scab of potato is actually uh, been found for a long time. So, in 1890, uh, this is Roland Taxter discovered this, uh, this pathogen. And their symptoms can be just superficial, or it can be raised. So, basically, now their lesions are popping out. This is rarer. Normally, most of the time, it's superficial. But in some instances, you you get the very nasty, um, deep pitted lesions, and that's where you get a lot of loss um, due to the, you know, how deep those lesions are. Um, so it's actually not a fungi; it's, it's a bacteria, but it does look like a fungi because it has this typical mycelium and a kind of kind of cute, like curly uh, spores. And those bacteria are naturally found in soil, and they don't need potatoes, so they're excellent uh, degrader of organic matter. They actually produce a whole lot of antibiotic. A lot of the antibiotic that we use in health are coming from Streptomyces species, not necessarily Streptomyces scabies, mind you. So they're excellent. Um, um, decomposer and they just live happily in soil. However, there's a couple of black sheep in the family and those are causing issues in plant. So those are streptomyces scabies, ACD scabies, and there, there's a, a whole lot more species that are causing common scam. The one that we find mostly is streptomyces scabies um, in Canada and actually around the world. So basically that bacteria travel probably with potatoes and wherever we grow potatoes, it's succeeded in establishing itself. So it's kudos for, you know, quite impressive as how much distribution that pathogen has and a bit scary too. Um, ACD scabies was actually discovered in Maine. One that is supposed to grow well in acidic soil, it does, but I, I would say that, you know, like a lot of the soil in New Brunswick are extremely acidic, and we do have common scam, so it's not just this one that can cause issues uh, under acidic uh, condition. Uh, okay, so what makes a pathogen, uh, what, what is... Um, 
what's the one characteristic of streptomyces is actually they have what we call a pathogenicity island. And that explains why there's so many different uh, species that cause exactly the same type of uh, symptoms, but they can be found a bit more regionally. It's because they do have a pathogenicity island, which is a piece of DNA basically that they share. And so then when a new species get this, they can become pathogenic. On this, there is the production of taxamine, which is in honor of the guy who found the, the, the pathogens, Roland Taxter, so taxamine. It's basically a plant toxin, not dangerous to us. We can eat that. It's actually an inhibitor of cellulose, so fortunately we were not made of cellulose, so we're fine. Um, it's actually bright yellow. You can see here production on a plate, and it's actually kind of aromatic to amino acids together, and that causes a necros on, on. So that's a very important for them to be pathogenic. If you knock those genes out, they're not pathogenic. There's other factors that are present in those bacteria, and those are what we call virulence factors, so those like NEC1, time A, it's all, and then production of antibiotics. So those one, if you knock the genes out, they're still pathogenic, they're still com causing common scam, but they're not as aggressive. So all of this is important in for uh, common scam. So one of the things that is really tricky is that it's very difficult to control. One of the things is that for fungal disease, we have fungicide. But for this is a bacteria, so we need antibiotics. And that's a big no-no. We already have a lot of problem with super-resistant bacteria. So, you know, like we're not using back, uh, antibiotic for uh, controlling bacterial disease. And it's a soil burn disease, always difficult to control. So. One of the things that is good to know, some polyethylene cultivars are quite tolerant. We're calling it tolerance because it's not an absolute resistance. None of it are completely resistant. But some of it are really tolerant. You get just a fleck of comet scab here and here. But I have seen like cultivars that we think are tolerant and suddenly in under bad conditions or good conditions for the pathogens, it causes a lot of issues. But it's still a good... If you have a problem in one of your field, using a tolerant or resistant cultivars is still a really good strategy. So if that's available to you, it's, it's, uh, it certainly does help a lot. Uh, yes? Yeah, I would say it's not a good idea to leave your scabby potato in the ground. Actually, I have a nursery um, where I want to keep the common scab, and that's one way I do it, is I always harvest some of it, but I leave a lot on the ground, and then I let them decompose, but it just is, um, you know, keeping the um, inoculum there. And in 20 years I've been doing that, they're still there. They're not going anywhere. So I think, you know, and I keep... You don't want to use scabby potato and, and scatter that around. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's playing with fire. <laughs> yeah, and they like it dry. So normally where your fields are drier, this is where you see it. Um, so slope, sometimes in the slope, or if you have just a gentle slope, sometimes I can predict they're going to be at the top of the field because it's, like I said, dry in July when they can infect the tubers. That's the critical period for common scam. Um, so there's some success, if you read the, the literature, there's uh, some success in agricultural practices, like using longer rotation, it does help. Um, application of manure, I know like a lot of you are gonna say, no, is it dangerous? Well, it depends, like a lot of, uh, 
It depends on the conditions, it depends on the manure, and sometimes the manure actually helped decrease. So in my own uh, experience, there was no issue, but if you want to try this, I would say try it on a small scale because we never know. There's example where it worsened the common scam. So I think there's reason why to be nervous about that. Lowering your pH, still a good, good strategy. Um, I'd say that I have seen sometimes when we're trying to increase a lot the pH, I've seen things where common scam went wild. I think the change in pH sometimes excite those pathogens and they go crazy. Um, so you have to, if you want to change and increase your pH, go slow <laughs> because you might, uh, you might actually uh, favor those, uh, those pesky pathogens. But all of those, um, method that are have have seen have seen success in the literature you can see also example where it doesn't work so there's a year to year a year to year variation and also a field to field variation and the question we were trying to answer in this project, why is there so much variability in controlling common scam? And so we had two axes of research. One was to evaluate the genetic diversity of pathogenic uh, streptomycins that cause common scam. The other one was to identify possible method and try to understand why it's working or why it's not working. Okay, so in terms of the genetic of uh, streptomyces, what this was led by Martin Fillion. He was at University of Moncton at that time, but now has moved to AFC Saint-Jean-sur-le-Richelieu in Quebec. So they were tuber a bit from, uh, you know, different provinces in Canada. Uh, the, basically the, the lesions, whoo, not this button. This one. Uh, the lesion basically are crushed, and then you kind of plate them, and you see that this is all straight, is, um, colonies of, and you can, uh, purify this, and this is how he got the pathogens out of the tubers. And then he did that for a number of uh, isolates, and for um, PEI, there was 296 isolates um, that were obtained. So a lot, of, a lot of work is you have to purify all those things and make sure they're not contaminated with the things. So, so uh, quite a lot of work went into this. Um, yes, no. <laughs> Uh, okay, so what they did after is to look at, okay, can we classify those pathogens based on how similar they are genetically? And so they use a technique, a molecular technique that gives you fingerprinting, basically. And so the closer the fingerprinting are, they are, the closer those are similar in terms of genetic group. Now, the 296 isolates could be classified in 14 different genetic groups. So you can see here, there's um, 14, uh, 13 streptomyces scabies, and the one from uh, this one is an ACD scabies. And you can see the one that are closer are, are in the same three branch, and then the one where it's a completely separate branch, it's because this one is really different. It's a different species. So, so basically, a lot of genetic variability. I forgot to mention that this is actually from six fields in, P, in PEI, two in the west, two in the center, and two in the east. Okay? And I suspect if we had done more fields, there would be more genetic groups. I mean, it's very variable. Okay, so now this is the distribution of those based on what was isolated. So you can see um, genetic group uh, eight, yes, this one, very abundant in the, in the west in the center, but the field in, in the east, completely different pattern in distribution. So not as much here, just here. Genetic four is actually a lot in this second field. 
And so this kind of RNG is genetic group four is also present in, in the, in the, in the West in the center. So very different, kind of similar in the West in the center, but very dissimilar in the East. And most probably if we had done more fields, we probably see something different too. So, but just based on that, lots of genetic variability, that's for sure. Okay, now this is also classifying those in different genetic groups, but instead of doing this figure printing, which is just a teeny tiny bit of the genome, now the entire genome was sequenced. So you can't be more precise than that. And doing this, um, what was found is there was four different genetic groups for Streptomyces scabies, and of course, Streptomyces cd scabies, different species, completely different genetic group. Um, now, I'm gonna not bore bore you with those details, it's too much. But what I want to say is that uh, this classification was done on the core genome, which means that this is the genes that are shared among all of the strains and all of the species. And that is actually only 17% of the, the genome. The rest of the genome is completely different. So, which means that basically the genetic background of those pathogens is extremely variable, which is not the good news for us. <laughs> Okay, now if we look at what's the, what makes a pathogen, what makes the common scam pathogen, the, the pathogenicity island, that is highly similar in all strain, which makes sense because they share that information. Okay? Uh, and then you can see here, this is the taxamine production. See, I said they all have this, it's essential. Well, they do all have those, um, that ability to produce the plant toxin taxamines. But you can see there's differences in genetic, uh, uh, groups, um, which one is it? <laughs> Three, and the acid scabies, you can see that there's some uh, part of the pathogenicity island that is missing. So antibiotics and some of the stuff that is needed for this element to jump from one genome to the other is missing. So this this means those ones are not going to share their their pathogenicity island with, which are, with others, which is good. Um, but there's definitely differences and there was mutation here. So there is differences in even in the what makes the common scam pathogen. So the question was, does that make a difference when we look at the common scab severity? So then uh, each strain was, you know, put in a pot with potato, they evaluated the common scam, and this is the result. Well, you can see here, I color-coded the different uh, genetic group from Streptomyces scabies, and the idea was, well, maybe we can see um, genetic group one is really a low, um, very low aggressivity, it, like doesn't cause a lot of common scam, and maybe four is causing a lot of common scam. But what you can see is actually there's no grouping; it's it's all random. So which means that it doesn't matter. Like it, the genetic background doesn't influence how severe the common scam is. And the other thing that was intriguing is that it's not also linked to. There was a very low correlation between the amount of taxamine that is produced, which is the essential. Uh, you know, the essential factor for, for to be a common scam pathogen, and the, uh, the amount of common scam, the severity of common scam, which seems to suggest there's other things like those virulence factors I was talking about that makes some of them much more uh, aggressive. But there's definitely a huge differences in, you know, some, some of the strains almost caused, caused no common scam, and the other one, like 60% of coverage in average, that's, there's not much skin left on those tubers, eh? So can the, the genetic diversity of pathogen maybe explain why it's so difficult to control the pathogens? 
Well, I would say yes, because it's so variable, it's so different that those bacteria are almost kind of ready for anything that Mother Nature or we throw at them. So. Okay, now I'm gonna switch to, okay, we were trying to find a way to control that pesky disease. And so we tried different trials in Manitoba and PEI and New Brunswick. Um, this is some of the treatments that we've looked. We were thinking of using a barley crop as a nurse crop. So basically plant that before potato and then, you know, kill it. And, it, and, and then when we plant the potato, it's actually buried in the hill, and that has uh, increased the moisture level, and there was some um, uh, evidence that this was helping reducing common scam, because common scam likes it dry. So, you know, if you add more moisture plus organic matter, we're thinking that might help. We also t uh, try compost, a lot of microorganisms compost, um, also bring some organic matter, so we're thinking, okay, maybe I'm gonna displace the pathogen. We tried mustard meal, um, because this has a biofumigation um, element, and so maybe this would uh, kill some of those, uh, the pathogen. We tried the biopesticide, which is, was the serenite soil, which is a bacillus-based product. And then we mixed the, the nurse crop plus the serenade or the compost. And we also tried the auxin or the herbicide 2,4-D as a foliar application, but now at a very, very low concentration, right? Because we don't want to kill our crop. So this is the result we saw. So you can see here the untreated, um, the nurse crop, the compost, the mustard, no difference. Didn't, it didn't influence how much common scam we had. So they were failing to control the disease. Now, serenade, though, you can see nice reduction in the severity. When you mix it with uh, nurse crop or compost, you get about the same, So, which means the real effect is not so much the nurse crop but then the serenade soil. So serenade soil was really helpful in reducing common scam. But the one that we were wow by was the 2,4-D. That one really reduced common scam a lot. And the nice thing also, then the, the increase in the number of of tubers that had less than 5% was spectacular with 2,4-D. It was 69% was now below 5% compared to the untreated. So we were really excited by that. The biopesticide also you can see statistically greater than the control here, the untreated. So that also is showing uh, some promises for Cummins scam. So it's not a zero, very difficult to get a zero with Cummins scam, but at least some reduction and you're getting a gain. So we got so excited by that, so we decided to really dive deep into the auxin. And so basically 2,4-D is a synthetic auxin, so it's not a natural a plant hormone. I'm not gonna name that thing, but you see it. So that's why we call it 2,4-D, it's too long. Uh, this is applied, um, this is a folio application, so it's kind of a bit easier for soil-borne disease. Applying a product is always tricky, then you have to apply it in the spring, but the coming scab really happens in July, so you know, like how do you get the product there when it's very important. But anyway, so for your application, is kind of nice for that. Fruiton um, is a uh, naphthalene acetic acid, the NAA, so different type of plant uh, hormones, if you want. Also used as folio application in apple, not in, in potatoes. But the same uh, ingredient, NAA, is rejuvenate, is a product that is used as a seed treatment to restore uh, apical dominance in potato. And so we tried that too. Um, and so basically we tried 2,4-D at different 
different application uh, time, so one to three application at different timing, so either really er early at tuber hooking, so this is here, you kind of barely see the little hook, and then a bit later when majority of the crop is at the five to 10 millimeters, so the uh, tubers are barely starting. Uh, fruiton also to application, uh, tuber hooking, and then when we do the application, we wait 10 to 14 days and then apply again. Uh, rejuvenate, we applied one or two as, as a three treatments, and then the control was either water or in, untreated. Okay, so that's the result. So what we saw, um, this is a, a Manitoba trials, and this is actually in dry land. I always thought that they always irrigate everything, but that's not true. But she had like a huge amount of pressure, so a lot of common scam in that field. What you can see is that the rejuvenate doesn't work, um, and the uh, fruiton also uh, doesn't work. But again, the 2,4-D either applied one time, two times, or three times, and, and at different timing, there was a reduction in... Um, of the common scab severity. Now for musica, musica, uh, the, this one, you can see there's a trend in decreasing the amount, the severity of common scab from the 2,4-D, but it's actually not significant. Um, now, when you look at um, the amount of tubers that now we can sell that are marketable that are below 5% of uh, common scab coverage, um, you can see again that uh, you know, basically the 2,4-D are the only treatments where we had a, a, an increase. And the one that was the most significant was actually uh, this one, but it seems to vary a bit. So there seems to be here, what was the, the data was suggesting that there was maybe a genotype uh, effect. So. so this is what we saw in closer to home <laughs> in New Brunswick and in Harrington. So we used a cultivar Norland in our case, and we had like either one application or two application and the fruiton, again, the fruiton was not doing anything, uh, but the 2,4-D was decreasing the severity, and we did have an increase in the number of tubers that was marketable now. Uh, however, we could see here in Harrington, for some unknown reason, it didn't work. The thing, it's, it's the common scam um, pressure was low, but it still didn't work. So it looks like there's a field-to-field -field, uh, variability um, again. So, um, okay, so in 2022, um, at the Manitoba site, there were six different um, cultivars that were tried. And what you can see is that, you know, only in three of them could we see significant difference between the treatment is in blue and the uh, 2,4-D is in purple. So where the stars, this is where there's significant differences. So in Fenway, in AC Peregrine, and in Sangre, they were significant reduction in the common scam severity, but not in the other uh, uh, cultivars. Now, What's interesting is sometimes even if there was no, you know, differences in lesion coverage, you still would have an increase in the number of commercializable uh, potato using the 2,4-D. That was the case for Fenway. So it looks like it depends, you know, the, the, just looking at severity with the average coverage does, sometimes doesn't tell the story completely. So some, some cultivars really still have a benefit even if you're not measuring this, but you guys wouldn't take one tubers at a time to look at it like we do. We go crazy with this, like in terms of very, being very specific. Um, but yeah, so, so basically the good news is that there's actually more cultivar where there was a benefits in using the 2,4-D. 
Now, in Fredericton, um, this year, totally disappointed. <laughs> it didn't work for, for uh, we were trying even higher concentration, knowing that sometimes there was, seems to be uh, no effect, but actually we didn't have, we didn't have a good uh, result even with the Norlin again, um, even with what we had in, in the year, in the summer before. Uh, but we did see uh, good results with the Yukon Gold. And, and, um, and again, this would uh, result in, in greater, um, in greater uh, marketable tubers in it where, where we had this, but not for Norlin. Of course, we didn't see an effect of the, the uh, oxen. So definitely, uh, also, a year-to-year -year variation, and there's definitely, depending on the genotype, there's something going on there. Now, it's nice to know that you have a reduction in the tubers that have 5% of coverage, so marketable, but what about, is this at the cost of having a total yield reduction, or maybe a size, a tuber size profile that change, and that is negatively changed by the treatment of oxen? So we check that, and actually the short answer is no. <laughs> there is no difference in total that's in gray, um, and, and the uh, grade A, no difference either, uh, and the large either. So, and we saw that in Manitoba or in New Brunswick, same thing, no, no difference for, uh, for, uh, due to the 240. Same thing for 2022 uh, trials, no difference in total yield, no difference in uh, grade A um, and large um, potatoes. So it doesn't, it doesn't affect. Also in Manitoba, uh, Tracy checks also no effect on specific gravity and no effect on, on the, the amount of hollow heart. So, so that's good things. In terms of, uh, is my time up? Uh, getting close. Okay, it's good to know. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll um, well, <laughs> yeah, I should, do, I'll do uh, faster. Okay, here I'm going to tell you it's, it's um, what we know from other plant system because we don't know anything about uh, in potato what 2,4-D does. But what we know in other system basically is that it activates a whole lot of cascade of stress response and plant defense response. And so the, the hypothesis I had was that 2,4-D was based, applied on the foliars, is kind of giving a warning, a warning to the plant, and that is signaled right to the, the roots and the tubers. And I was wondering, could that reduce um, comments gap of the, the abundance of the pathogen? And the short answer is, Yes, it seems so. So you can see here, this is the control, and this is the 2,4-D applied once, twice, and you can see there's a nice reduction. Even with fruiton, seems to be one, but then in other uh, space, it doesn't. So it's, it basically reduced the abundance of the pathogens in the roots, in the tuber, on the tuber surface, but not so much in the common scab lesion. There's some trend, but not, not clear. So it seems to be that it reduced in general how much uh, pathogens is on the surface of the root and the tubers, but once they get in, they multiply still uh, the same way. So we basically just in the lesion, we didn't see any difference, but the, the thing is, it means that there's less lesion in general, and that's a good thing. So it looks like my hypothesis was correct. So now, this is from the Harrington. We didn't see anoxin uh, benefits, like it didn't control comments scam, and of course, there's no good pattern, which makes sense, because the oxen failed to, to do its job in that, in that case. Now, the thing I should, I should mention is that there, is, there are a bit of signs of phytotoxicity. Not every year. The first year we tried it, we thought, oh my god, we did a mistake in the calculation. It's not working. But no, it was working. It's just that it, there was no phytotoxicity 
toxicity. But you can see it depends a bit on the, the, the cultivar. Sometimes you can get a bit of yellowing and brown spots. You, the, what we saw more is, is the wrinkly, uh, wrinkly leaf. Um, same is here on IC Peregrine in some years. And of course, as the plant grows, you don't see it anymore. But you know, if you go seven to 10 days after, you might, you might think, oh my God. But that's a problem uh, for seed production though, because then if your CFI happens to be in your field, they might, they might think you have other issues, which is, you know, then it's you know, probably limiting what we can do for the seed. Okay, so conclusion, why, um, why is control income in scabs so variable? So I think that, I, I hope I convinced you, there's a whole lot of genetic variability in the pathogen, and that's probably explaining why it's so, it's so difficult to find like a silver bullet where it's working all the time. Um, now, the next step that um, they want to do is to actually develop gene the um, quantitative PCR assay that they will now go back to those six fields uh, that they've already um, um, evaluated, but this time using the soil and quantitative PCR. See, the difference is that when you isolate, there's always a bit of a bias, but with the quantitative PCR, they'll really see, they can assess what genetic group are present. So, the, and, and if I had to make a bet, I'd say that the distribution could be very different. Okay, what methods can control common scam? Um, serenade soil, it does help, it does, it did help. I have also experience with this and, and it was helping too. It's not like completely spectacular where, you know, you apply the product and you see nothing. But if you were to check really two, one treated and one untreated, you would see a benefits of the product. But it's trickier to, you know, it's not like a fungicide where you see no nothing happening, right? Like the pathogen completely stopped. So it's something to keep in mind that it's not always super evident to see the, the benefits. And now the 2,4-D, there is, re I think it's very promising, but I, I, I think we need more um, research to understand because, you know, obviously some genotypes are not responding. Sometimes it doesn't respond from year to year. And so what we're hoping to do is actually kind of look at what is being activated in the potato plant. And the hope is that we can actually then uh, use maybe other chemistry or other products to do the same thing. I'm always wary that uh, 2,4-D at one, at one point, they might decide to remove it from the market. So if we could find at least what is being activated and how is common scam uh, control, we can do a better job. And we, we want to combine both the serenade soil and the 2,4-D just to see if we get like a synergic effect. So that's something that in, we'll do in uh, the future. Okay, so I'm gonna, again, um, uh, thank uh, my collaborator, thank uh, the industry that uh, put money in that um, project, including my good friend here, <laughs> and, and the technical uh, support. And I'm sure I'm missing a whole lot of people uh, that have worked really hard on, on this project, and I'm thanking you for your attention.